Amen. Talking about church walls, last week we talked about tribe, how oftentimes we are divided by tribe. We can be divided by our voting preference. We can be divided by our racial uh, identity. We can be divided by our uh, economic status. We can be divided by all these things. We can even be divided between the Hatfields and the McCoys in some churches. We can be divided by all these types of things, but at the cross... That's the great reconciling place. It's the great place where God, Christ brings man and God together, and he brings men and men together. So at the cross, there is no longer any walls or any divisions on this side of the cross. There is one God, there is one King Jesus, there is one church, there is one Holy Spirit. Somebody say, amen. amen. There's just one church, and we're all family, and we're together. And so if you haven't listened to that, listen to that online about our tribes, how tribes and hidden personal prejudices that we sometimes are unaware of for years, that we don't even know that we have, sometimes have put up walls of division uh, within our hearts. But I was a college student on the university campus in Missouri, and having even though been raised in church, I quickly found myself at a faith crisis. I began to learn and was taught that Moses did not write the first five books of the Bible. Instead, it was a diversity of scholars. I learned that Jonah did not get swallowed up by a whale, but that was a story, an allegory for a certain time period in Israel's history. I learned that it wasn't the Red Sea, uh, but the Reed Sea that Israel could walk across. I began to learn that all these miracles in the Bible were just, just like all these other ancient stories and texts. And I began to look at biblical criticism and hear about other stories that are very similar to Bible stories. And, and all this thing started a faith crisis in my heart. I began to wonder if everything I've been taught and told was really true. I began to get angry at the church. In fact, I stopped going uh, on Sunday mornings for a good while because I just didn't see the the... I didn't see what I read in Acts. I didn't see happening in the Bible what I saw read. And, and if God was the same yesterday, today, and forever, then what's up with the church? How come I don't see love and power and signs and wonders? I just see division and I see apathy and I see people preaching a good message and somehow emotionally excited and then they're back like they were on Monday. So is there power in the church? But then what saved me is I had an experience with God right before I left, and I had a tangible encounter with the divine presence of God. Not only that, but I had sound doctrine that my parents for years had put into my heart and put into my life just good biblical living and principles. And it had it not been for their basic Christian truths they put into my life and then sound biblical teaching, I would have been lost and gone off to the left field somewhere. I would have been uh, just whatever. I'd come to church just about as a religion probably, but it wasn't anything living, but it was the experience with God and good biblical teaching that kept me grounded during those times of crisis. But many kids are going to college today and they don't have that. Many people are going through churches today and don't have that. And how do you know if what you believe is true? Let me just point that out. How do you know if what you believe is true? Because there are Hindus and Buddhists and people all over the world who believe what they believe is true. And they think it's true, and they're willing to die for it, some of them. 
They're willing to walk hundreds of miles to get to a place where they think they can meet God. Some monks will walk on their hands and knees through countless miles just to believe they're going to meet God. And they believe what they believe is true. How do you know what you believe is true? Does your life declare it? Do you stand up on it? Is it a rock? Have you have any proof in your life of what you believe is true? Do you, what do you have to know to go to heaven? And with thousands of Christian denominations, how do you know which one to follow? Which one's right? Which one's wrong? Should I be Baptist or Methodist or Lutheran or Catholic or Pentecostal? Should I be Calvinist and believe in predestination? Do I believe in Arminianism and believe if I said a cuss word and died in a car wreck, I'm going to hell? Which one is true? Am I a sensationist? Or do I believe the baptism and the gifts of the Spirit are still evident today? Do I believe in the Trinity? What do I believe about water baptism? Do I believe in speaking in tongues? All these questions that people are asking many pastors today. And how do I know if my pastor is telling me the truth? Let me say this. If in every denomination there are churches of diverse understanding. Within any denomination you pick it out. There are like 20-something types of Baptists, by the way. And in those 20-something types of Baptists, you're going to find a hundred types of preaching and a hundred types of churches and a hundred types of beliefs. How do you know which is true? How do you know if your church, your pastor is teaching the truth? Don't believe it just because I've said it and someone gave me a microphone. Don't believe it just because you got a title or some degree behind your name or reverend or pastor is on your checkbook. How do you know if I'm not leading you into a lie? How do you know that I'm understanding the word correctly? How do I know if my church is too free in grace or too legalistic in the law? How do I know if they have false doctrine? And by the way, what is doctrine? Doctrine is what a church believes and teaches. It's simply that. It's what a church takes out of Scripture, puts it together, and believes and teaches. And it wasn't even 200 years after Christ that division over doctrine became a part of our, our Christian churches. In fact, the vision began early before 200 years had over. The heretical teaching had come about, and churches began, and, and pastors and bishops began to unite together with doctrinal creeds to fight heresy. Her the devil's been in it from the beginning to divide the church. And he be they, from the very beginning, they would form creeds of doctrine, and over centuries, in large part to all these doctrinal differences, many denominations would arise. Some schisms would be because major doctrinal differences, but most denominations and most schisms happened over the minor things, the little things that we would pull out in Scripture or preferences of worship. All the churches would begin to form all across the world over the last 2,000 years, and, and that's what doctrine is, but what is the church? The word ecclesia is church, all right? And that word simply means the Christians who are assembled together either in a house or either in a city or either the Christians that are gathered across the whole world. But it never, ever means a denomination. It never, ever means a branch of the church. The ecclesia, the assembly, the gathering of the saints, always means all the Christians in a house or a church, all the Christians in a city, or all the Christians in the known world. So what are we a part of? However, it, is, it never defines a denomination, but think about this. Are there times you should divide 
because of doctrine. You know, Christ prayed for the unity of his church, but he also prayed against that we wouldn't fall into false doctrine and the teachings of men. Did you know that? On one side, he's praying for unity, but on the other side, he's saying, guys, don't fall trapped into the teachings and the false doctrines of men. So which is it? You think about it. You can have the most educated pastor. You can have the nicest, loving church family and still come up with a bunch of different interpretations of Scripture. You know that? Your pastor can be the nicest, most educated person in the world. Your church can be the best worship service. And you can go to another one just like it and find different, good-meaning people who will read the Bible differently. Who's right? Because I love them, I trust them, I believe in them, I love to have coffee and, and cake with them. But they believe something different than this other person. I would love to have coffee and cake and go to their house and hang out with them. Isn't that not true? How many people know that's true? That you can, good-meaning people, read the Bible differently. Who's right? There are sincere people who are coming to our churches in our community confused about what should I believe. Even this last uh, months, I've had multiple people message us or call us or talk to me about, I don't know if I'm saved or not. I don't know what my purpose is or peace with God. I don't know what to believe. Pastor, what is true? What church should I go to? What denomination should I be a part of? And who are you and what in the world does sanctuary believe? Uh, because it's, this is matters. This is, for some, it's going to be heaven and hell. It's going to be life and death. It's going to be peace with God or not. And so yet even honest people sincerely seeking God can be confused or come up with different doctrine. For instance, are there times to divide? This last few weeks, a United Methodist pastor said this. He said, I would be rather divided by the truth than united in error. Why? Because they were voting to allow homosexual presbyters and bishops and pastors in the United Methodist Church. And he says, if it comes down to it, I would rather be divided by truth than united together in error. Is there a time to divide? Yes, there is. There is a time to divide. But is it, is it always the Bible says that we are to guard sound doctrine. In fact, Paul left Timothy in Ephesus to ensure that people were nourished on sound doctrine. Paul warned before he died, he said, you know what, there's going to be people who are going to be tossed to and fro by the waves of the doctrines of men in Ephesians 4. He said times are going to come when men are not even going to endure sound doctrine, but they're going to find teachers and pastors to preach according to what their own selfish hearts desire. They'll find a church to fit their needs, right? They'll find a doctrine to fit their needs. And he even said before he died in, in 1 Timothy, he said there are going to be demons in the last days who create doctrines of demons, deceitful spirits to sway the church, to sway members in the church, to fall into demonic doctrines. That's going to come in these last days. It already is, right? He said there are going to be some people the devil's going to send to infiltrate churches with controversial questions and disputes just to create strife and get the church focused on strife. He said there are going to be people who go against the basic doctrines. And the Apostle John and 2 John, he said, if there's a person who denies even the doctrine of Christ, who comes against these basic Christian doctrines, he says, don't even say hello to them and don't even invite them over for dinner. He says there is, there is a time to stand for truth. There is a time to divide the church. There is a time to do that because false doctrine is going to separate you from God. But man's doctrine is going to separate you from one another. False doctrine separates you from God. 
Man's doctrine separates you from one another. That's what we're going to talk about today. What are these dividing walls? We're praying through dividing walls. What are the things that separate us from God? What are the things that separate us from the church, from one another that are in error? And then what are the things that separate this church from a lost and dying world that's going to hell? Because the world is looking at the church and saying, if that's Jesus, I don't know if I want any of that. If that's what a Christian acts like, I'm not sure. If the church is divided, then is God divided? And so they look at us and they're saying, we as a church are responsible to say, God, are there any dividing walls? Are there any false doctrines between me and you? Are there any man doctrines between one another that divide us? And there's anything that has separated us from a lost and dying world? These are things we're praying through. So look in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Let's get into it today. A little bit of a teaching this morning, but Paul is writing to a divided church in Corinth because I think this is so very important for today. And again, like I said, there have been many people over the last months, even years, who have been calling and texting and messaging our church to say, I don't know what to believe. What is truth? What is truth? 1 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul writes to a very divided church who are divided on a number of religious and social and economic issues, even racial issues. And much like we would see today that in our community we have black churches and white churches. We have Pentecostal churches and Baptist churches. We have religious churches and grace, hyper-grace churches. We've got spirit-manifested gift churches and non-spirit-manifested gift churches. We've got churches that believe pre-tribulation rapture, post-tribulation rapture. We've got churches that believe that, that only God elects and no one has a choice in who goes to heaven. And we've got people that think... If you don't get saved every single day, you're not going to make heaven. We have a diversity of churches. And he writes to a diverse, divided church. He says, I appeal to you, dear brothers and sisters, by the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ to live in what? Harmony. Everybody say harmony. Harmony with each other. Let there be no divisions in the church. Look at that. Let there be no divisions in the church. Let there be no divisions in the church. Rather, be of one mind, united in thought and purpose. For some members in Chloe's household have told me about your quarrels, your brothers and sisters. Some of you are saying, I'm a follower of Paul. Others are saying, I'm a follow, uh, I follow Apollos. And some are saying, I follow Peter, or I only follow Christ. Paul says, has Christ been divided into factions? Was I, Paul, crucified for you? Were any of you baptized in the name of Paul? Of course not. I thank God I did not baptize any of you except Crispus and Gaius. For now no one can say they were baptized in my name. And then he forgets something. He says, oh, yes, I also baptized the house of Stephanus, but I don't remember baptizing anybody else. I love how Paul is just, you know, it's real. This is a real person, real person writing real stuff. He says, for Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the good news. And not with clever speech for the fear that the cross of Christ would lose its what? Its power. You see, he's not divided over baptism, by the way, right there. He's not arguing over baptism. He's saying it's not about the baptism. It's not about your names. It's not about who you're following. It's about the cross of Jesus Christ. There's one God, one, one intercessor. And he says, let there be no schisms. Let no division. That is, he says, divisions that are based on personal preferences. I really like his teaching. I really like his preaching. I really like their doctrine. I really like their style of music. I really like how they do church. 
Let there be no divisions, no personal prejudice, just like we say today. Well, I follow the Baptist. I follow the Methodist. I follow the Assemblies of God. And each group was claiming to follow a unique leader. They weren't really divided doctrinally at this time. They were divided, and I like this guy. I like how he presents Jesus. I like how they talk about God. I like how they teach and how they worship. And that's the kind of the tribe and clan I'm going to associate with. I'm going to go to Apollos' Sunday night meetings and not go to Peter's Sunday or Monday night meetings. I'm going to go this route, and I'm going to get the T-shirt that says, I am a Peter follower. I am an Assemblies of God. I am a Baptist. I have the Methodist bumper sticker. This is who I am. Is that not true? And he says, is Christ divided? And did any of these people die for you on a cross? Did you get to heaven because you became a part of the Assemblies of God? Did you get to heaven because you grew up in a Baptist church and that's where your letter is? Did you get to heaven because you got baptized in Jesus' name only by a certain uh, Pentecostal pastor? He says, no. I, there is only one person that gave you access into heaven, and that's Jesus Christ. Somebody say amen. amen. There's only one way. There's only one person. And you can easily, he says, pride yourself on your special knowledge. You can pride yourself on your unique insight into Scripture. But Paul would say in 1 Corinthians 3.18, we are deceived if we're divided. If we're divided in our hearts, if we're divided in our worship of the same God, we're deceived. If we're deceived. There's only one Jesus. There was only one cross for one humanity. And if we're divided over that issue, we're deceived. We're deceived. He says the gospel, he would go on and, and, and talk about how the gospel is not based on your personal preference. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 3, 3, he would say jealousy and strife, these divisions, they're signs of an immature Christian. And we have a bunch of immature Christians in America today that we care more about the logo and the name and the t-shirt and the doctrinal differences than what unites us together. We care more about our divisions than our unity. And we care more about what church you go to and what kind of worship you listen to and what kind of preacher you follow and what kind of doctrine you follow instead of what man, God, saved your soul. There's only one Jesus one God, one church, one kingdom, one purpose. And if you think your church or denomination are the only ones making heaven, I'm sorry, you are sorely mistaken. Go talk to the Puritans who founded this country. They didn't believe anything that, like we believe or worship like we worship today. Likewise, they were still saved. You might even think a certain style of worship or church participation is a certain way we should be, but we shouldn't be so arrogant about our perspectives or preferences, he'd say in chapter 4. You know, we can even be prideful. I'm preaching about denomination, but we can be prideful in being non-denominational. Oh, we got it all right. They're all wrong because they're all divided. We're the ones who are right. Well, you just created another denomination, by the way. <laughs> you can be prideful in being non-denominational. And so we can think, and we can talk about the Baptists, we can talk about the Pentecostals, we can talk about the Assemblies of God, and still, we're the still same thing. We're just as wrong as they are. Human spirits will produce pride and division and arrogance, but the Holy Spirit, he produces faith, 
gentleness, unity, and love. And Paul says in chapter 1, verse 31, he says, and if you guys want to boast, I'll give you something to boast about. Boast in the Lord. If you want to boast about something, boast in the Lord. You want to talk about how you baptize people, how you speak in tongues, or you want to talk about how you believe you're one saved, always saved, or you want to talk about you like contemporary versus traditional. If you want to boast in something, boast in knowing Jesus Christ. Boast in him. Boast in what he's done. Boast in how he broke down the wall that separated you from God. Boast in how he brings us all together. There's going to be one heaven, a glorious manifestation of God's presence, and that we have been redeemed from the pit of hell by the cross of Christ. Boast in something worth boasting about. Talk about something worth talking about. Worship about something worth worshiping about. Amen. He says, there's the power of the cross. In 1 Corinthians 2, 1, he says, I preach nothing but what? Jesus and him crucified. I'm not preaching Peter. I'm not preaching Apollos. I'm not preaching Baptist. I'm not preaching Methodist. I'm not preaching Assemblies of God. I'm not preaching Oneness Pentecostal. I'm preaching Jesus and him crucified. That's the only thing that will get a man from sinful sinner headed to hell into the glorious heaven that God's prepared for us. There is power in the message, not the messenger. If it's a gospel-centered, Christ-centered message, I will listen to it. I don't care what denomination the pastor is. If he's preaching truth, then may it be truth. I don't care what's on his certificate. It's not about the messenger. It's about the message. And Satan's deceived so many Christians into believing that their fellowship with one another must be based on particular viewpoints. But you know, unity does not mean uniformity. It doesn't mean everybody has to be the same, by the way. Unity does not mean uniformity. Unity can be just your heart and spirit. You know, I, I believe that God creates a diversity of types of people because that's how awesome he is. Look at, how we, look at what God's done in the world. We have Chinese people. We have African-American people. We've got Russian and Polish people. We've got South American people. They're all people. But they're all beautifully, individually made just for the glory of God. Look in this room. There are a diversity of types of people. There's a diversity of little gifts of the church. There's a diversity of worships and beliefs and doctrines. But there's still just one Jesus, one God who made all of it. And it's all for the glory of God. And so I can worship together. For instance, I, can, I believe this, that their denominations, they have effective ministries. They have effective ways of doing things. They reach a diversity of people. They're, they're different in style. They relate to different things. And one of the great things denominations can do is they can organize themselves together to train and equip pastors, to send out missionaries, to train up the lost in, in the world and missions around the world. They can collect funds for natural disasters. If it was one big conglomerate, it would be very hard to do that and very easy to corrupt from top down if there's just one world church. But if there's a diversity of parts, and that's what Paul says, and you continue to read this, he says, there is but one body, but many parts, but there's still just one head, one Christ. And so we can be united despite our differences. It doesn't matter if my brother is Assemblies of God or Pentecostal or, or Baptist or Methodist, I can still be one in heart and one in spirit with my brother or sister. And that's the point that Paul is making here, that there is one head of a body with many members. And he would go on in chapter 12 to go into that. But it's not, it's, are we most loyal to a pastor? 
and that, that we believe that our pastor is the only one preaching the truth, and we're going to stay with our pastor till he dies, and then we don't know what we're going to do. We probably are going to hire his son to continue on the legacy. That's what happens in most small churches, the ones that I've been a part of when I was raised. That's that this is the only truth, and every other church is wrong, and we have to hold to this doctrine because hell is wide open, and the whole world is going to hell, and we are waiting for that rapture to come because this little church is going to get beamed up to the mothership. I mean, that's, that's how some people have been raised. I was one of them, uh, confessing. That's how I was raised in, in a young person in southeast Arkansas. That we are holding the fort. I shall not be moved. The end. That's how we believe. Lord, save us as us doomsday prepper Christian. I mean, because we're holding to one thing. I'm being honest. Are we more loyal to our pastor? Are we more loyal to our church? Are we more loyal to a doctrine or denomination than we are loyal to Jesus Christ himself? Is that thing, that doctrine, that style of worship, is that thing more important than Jesus Christ himself, the person who you made a diverse body of many parts? And it'd be like my hand slapping my other hand. And, you know, that's called a, a muscular disorder when things are flailing around and they don't work together but there's one head, and that's sometimes how the church is working. It's like, what are you guys doing? You're one body. You've got many parts. You guys are good at this. Do that. Baptists, man, they do that Samaritan purse, and I bless them in that. Man, thank God for that and what Billy Graham started, and I bless his ministry. I thank God for Billy Graham and his ministry. I thank God for the Assemblies of God, one of the only growing denominations in America who has the best ministries towards world missions. I believe it hands down, which is why I do so much with them, because I believe in missions. But I also have praise for my Methodist brothers, and if you don't know the history of the Methodist church, man, those guys are powerhouse in doctrine and revival. Maybe they're not there today, but those who are the saints of old, man, they knew how to pray the house down in some old Methodist churches. They had that heritage, and, and we can look and see the great things about all of them and how they all uniquely worship God. But do I know what is essential that is I therefore that unites us together? And do I also know what is dividing and what I should stand in division for? Are we united with a diversity of believers? Let's talk about what we are united in. You know, some doctrinal differences may not have very major consequences. There are some things that are minor on this side of heaven. They're not a heaven or hell issue. If you want to believe that way, fine. If you prefer to worship that way, great. If that's how you want to be baptized or that's how you want to act, that's okay. It's not a heaven or hell thing. You're, you're weird, go to a weird church. It's okay. Can I be that? Can I just be honest? If, that's, if you are, are boring and dry, go to a boring and dry church. If you like rituals and, and rote prayers, go to a church like that. If you like to jump up and down, that's who you are. Go to a church that jumps up and down. But what are the things you must believe to go to heaven? There is some core doctrine. While there are things that we can differ on, and it's not going to make or break heaven and hell, there are some things that are non-negotiable truths in Scripture. There are some things today you need to know there is a doctrine of demons who is dividing the church and sending masses of Christians, so-called Christians, into the devil's hell. There are things that would sway the masses, Paul said. And he begins, if you read the book of 1 Corinthians, he begins to write out many of these things that should unite us together in his letter. And so if you are checking out another church, if you are considering going to a specific denomination, 
If you are thinking about changing the way you believe, you should note these main points. Let's go through them together. And if you're in agreement with them, you can say amen. And the first is this. Number one, all scripture is inspired by God. And the Bible says, and Paul says, it's good for teaching, rebuking, and training the man of God. There is only one authoritative book in the world today. That's this Holy Bible. And that's where we all have to start. This is the word of God. I don't care what man says or what some other person comes up to a pulpit with a microphone. If he teaches something different than this word, you better get up out of your seat and walk out of the building. This is the way. Somebody say amen. There's only one Bible, one scripture, one holy book. Secondly, there is only one God. There's not three gods. God is not divided. There is one God, the Father, the Creator, and the Bible says we exist for Him. He is deserving of all of your worship. It is not Allah. There is no other God but God. Somebody say amen. Amen. There is only one Christ, one Lord Jesus Christ, and you exist through Him. You exist for God, but you exist through Christ, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 8. He says He's the Word of God. He was made flesh. He is the sinless Son of God. He is divine, holy, 100% God. He was born of a virgin by the Holy Spirit. He lived a sinless life. He died on a cross and bore our sins. He was risen on the third day by the Holy Spirit. He's now reigning at glory, sitting at the right hand of the Father, and He's coming back one day, someday soon. So He is the Son of God, holy God. But he's also the son of man, holy man. He was not half God and half man. He was 100% man, tempted in all things as we are. He bore our sins on his body. He undid what Adam did, became the new Adam for us, and died and took our place. Our death was bore on him, and he was raised as a man and is now reigning in glory. There is the doctrine of God and Christ. There is also the doctrine of sin. It says this, that all mankind is in a fallen and hopeless state of sin. Rebellion against God is our nature, and there is nothing we can do about it. There is no good man or good woman who is going to get to heaven by their good works. There's rebellion against holy word is in our heart, and sin leads you to physical death, spiritual death, and eternal, eternal death, which is eternal separation from God, the consequence of which is being in a devil's hell thrown into the lake and fire with weeping and gnashing of teeth, and there is no end in sight for those who go there. That is the seriousness of sin. God is a holy God. He cannot entertain or be near sin. And for that reason that we come to the doctrine of the cross, that Christ was crucified for our rebellion of sin. He became the curse of sin for us. He paid for our redemption. And now you can be freely justified, that is, declared legally innocent in the Most High Court of Heaven because of His blood sacrifice for you. There is no other way into the presence of God. And Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1.18, it says, This word of the cross, it is the power of God. If you don't have a church that is preaching the cross of Jesus Christ, you don't have a church. If there is a message out there, it is the message. It is that it is only faith that is required to apply the blood of Jesus to your life. It is only faith in the blood of Jesus that saves you. And that faith is this, that I believe that his sole act alone was powerful enough, was good enough, 
was big enough to save me. And no act of myself, I don't care if it's my baptism, my membership record, my speaking in tongues, or anything good works I do, none of that will save my soul. He is the only one worthy to pay the price, and it's His work alone that saves someone and brings them into eternity with God. He's the only one. You can do nothing to add to His work. That's why the thief on the cross said this, God, I believe you. You're the king. He stood in the gap for him. He was sorry for his sins. And he, prof- uh, he, he proclaimed him as who he was. And that's why there, with no baptism, no voting record, no tithing record, no membership record, no speaking in tongues, he says, you're going to be with me in paradise. Because it was the blood alone that saves his soul. Whew. It's not religious work, spiritual gifts, or correct theology that's going to send you to heaven. It is the message of the cross and faith in it that says, I believe only Jesus was good enough for me. And that brings us to the the doctrine of the gospel. That is the good news. It's the good news of what I just said. It's the good news that God's kingdom has come. Salvation has appeared to all men by the grace of God through Jesus Christ. And if you would just repent of your sin, turn from your way of living and your good works and your good efforts, and just simply believe this message by childlike faith alone, that is to let go of what you're holding on to and grab a hold of what God has done for you and live it out in your heart, you will be saved. And receive eternal life. This is the gospel, the good news, that Jesus Christ has come. Today is the day of salvation. Then there is the doctrine of the Spirit we hold to, that there is only one Spirit who is mysteriously united with Father and Son in a loving unity. I don't understand it. I can't explain it. There is the Spirit, there is the Father, there is the Son, and there is one God. I'm going to leave it right there. And when we get to heaven, you can ask him about it. He convicts the world of sin. He's drawing people to Christ. He is the baptizer. He is living within every born-again believer. He is renewing our minds. He is transforming our nature into the nature of Christ. He is my advocate, my counselor, my teacher. He gives me boldness, and he gives a variety of gifts as he wills to his church. He is the Spirit. Then there is the church. There is but one church, one body, one Christ, one Holy Spirit, And Christ has ordered the church with many parts and a diversity of gifts by that Spirit. And He's given pastors and evangelists and pastors uh, and evangelists and prophets and pastors and teachers to oversee and serve sacrificially that church. And I'm responsible to follow God anointed leadership. And I'll be judged as a God ordained pastor by what I teach and I preach. And that's on me. And I'm responsible to submit myself to God's order in His church. That's how the church is growing and built, that there is gifts, there is order, there is authority, but there is still only one church that God will judge, and we will answer first before him. Next is the doctrine of holiness. That means I have been sanctified. That means I have been made holy. I have been bought with a price, made holy in Christ. Holiness is not of myself. It is of the Holy Spirit who lives within me. There is nothing I can do to add to His holiness. His holiness comes from the righteous blood of Jesus Christ that covers my sin. He took my sin and my shame, gave me His righteousness. His righteousness is how I stand before God in the holiness of Christ. So again, it's not my tithing, my tongues, or my baptism record, or my church membership. I stand holy before God as soon as 
as I'm saved underneath the blood of Christ and the judgment of sin passes over me. And so I'm holy. And when you get saved, you're as as holy as you're ever going to get. But because I'm holy, I want to act like it. I want to live like it. Sanctification is both beginning and continual. That means that because I'm holy, I want to live holy. I want to live a life of worship. And Paul says, while all things can be lawful for you, not all things are going to edify or benefit you. Yes, Christ has fulfilled the law. He's fulfilled all the religious acts. But as a Christian, because of his precious blood, I should separate myself from worldly pursuits and be dedicated to the pursuit of God. Let nothing entangle me with this worldly gain or vanity. May I not be swayed to the left or the right, but keep my eye on Jesus and say, God, I count all things as loss. I don't care about entertainment or looking like the world or acting like the world or listening like the world or desiring the things of the world. All my focus, my heart is on you and nothing else matters. That's holiness. That's the doctrine of holiness. It means that grace is not a license to sin, but sin is not the character of those who are fully submitted to God. I should know what is grieving the Holy Spirit. I should know what the Holy Spirit is telling me to do. That's called mature Christianity. I don't need a pastor to tell me because I have the Holy Spirit, God himself, living in me. I know what is pleasing to him because I have a personal relationship with him. Somebody say amen. Amen. He's directing my conscience to please God. So if he tells me not to go to that place, I don't go to that place. If he tells me not to wear that thing, I don't wear that thing. Amen. If he tells me stop to saying those words, I stop saying those words. If he says give up this, I give up that. Because he's directing my heart to please himself. The next one is the resurrection. If you don't believe this, you don't have anything at all. That just as Christ was resurrected from the dead, you and I are going to be resurrected, transformed into new spiritual bodies. Somebody say amen. We're going to, the dead in Christ are going to be raised one day, and we who remain are going to be caught up together with the call of the last trumpet. And then we come to a place of final judgment, where Christ is going to return at the end of all things. He's going to judge the living and the dead, <clears throat> and those who are not found in relationship with him will be thrown into everlasting punishment in the lake of fire with all of hell, death, and the devil and his angels. It's a real deal. We have a serious call, a serious mission, and that presses us on and presses us forward into holiness, love, and right living. And I'm going to end with this last doctrine that we must agree on. All these we must agree on. You must find a church that agrees and preaches all of these things. There are other things they can preach, and that's great. But these are the key doctrines of Scripture, and you could probably add a couple more. But the last doctrine that brings it all together for me, and so very few churches mention this as a doctrine, is the doctrine of love. It's the doctrine of love. What did he say is the greatest command? It's to love God with everything you got, love people as yourself. And the law of Christ is not in legalistic works now. It is in the law of love. The law is love now. And selfless love is the greatest command of his church. It's the true mark of every Christian. So if I don't care if they got all their doctrine right, if they look the part, dress the part, if you go to a church that is not loving, they have not God. They can have all the emotion they want. They can have all the right doctrine and teaching they want. But if they have not love, they have not God. Few make it a core doctrine of their church. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 13, Paul would tell them, he says, guys, you can have miracle working power. You can speak in tongues every single day. But if you don't have love, you are just a noisy thing, a clanging symbol. 
Leonard Ravenhill said this. He says, you can have all your doctrines right and still not have the presence of God. Love binds us together. These are the things that must unite us together. And you can say that there are things that unite us, but then there are things that we should not divide over, such as spiritual gifts. And these are an addendum to this. Paul would spend much of his chapter, and he'd put love right in the middle of it over spiritual gifts, just simply to say, we, I believe that there is a church today that is a supernatural church, that the things that were so key to Jesus' ministry, like healings and miracles and exorcisms and words of knowledge and faith, those things are still in operation today by the Holy Spirit until Jesus comes, and that we should be a diverse place using diversity of gifts and expecting God to show up in our midst. And each of these gifts, whether it's a pastor or teacher or the gift of helps or administration or tongues or prophecy, all of them are equal before God. All of them are, are needed in the church today. And the church doesn't grow by the efforts of men, but by the power of the Holy Spirit in believers. And the Bible is clear of what, and these are things I'm not going to divide with you over. There are things that are key core doctrines, like I mentioned before, but these are things I won't divide with a person over. But I'm going to tell you, the Bible is clear in 1 Corinthians 14, you're not to reject speaking in tongues. You're not to put it out of your church, but at the same time, you're not to elevate it over any other ministry, especially prophecy and things that edify the body. You can't elevate one gift over another. Every person is unique. Every person is given gifts by God. They are to use them for the glory in the body. So we don't focus on one or the other. Another thing I won't divide with you over is baptism. Baptism in water we know is commanded. We follow it as a profession of faith. It's a sign of having our sins washed away. Every believer should be baptized. But again, the thief on the cross was not baptized. Many believers are not able to be baptized. So we're not saved. 1 Peter 3.21 says this, that you're not saved by the water that cleanses things from dirt, but you're saved because the Holy Spirit has cleansed your soul. It's not the water. It's not physical water. Otherwise, I'd have to get like Navida or, you know, some kind of special water. That would be good water. But you can go down to the muddiest river in LaSalle Parish. And I don't care what kind of water it is. You can be baptized because of the faith of your heart and the obedience of your mind to follow Jesus Christ. It is faith alone in the blood that saves you. And there is only one baptism. There is not two baptisms in the Christian church. There is only one baptism. And Paul is clear in Ephesians 4, 5. There is only one baptism because there is only one church. Christians are not based on their method or their location or their sayings of baptism or their denominational preferences. There is one God, one Jesus, one church, one baptism, one Holy Spirit. And lastly is communion. I will not divide with you over communion it is the element of the body of Christ. It is the body of the bread. It is the cup of the new covenant. It is not the elements, again, like the water that saves you. That is simply grape juice or wine for some Christians, or and it's a piece of bread sometimes often bought at Walmart. It's not the bread that saves you. It's a profession of faith, of repentance, that says, I apply by faith the blood of Jesus to my life. And most importantly is this, communion, the whole point of communion, Paul says, is that you would not be divided, that some in here have been divided, but I pray that you would take it together in what? comes back to the same doctrine of love. I pray you take it in love, that you would remember Jesus Christ. You come, he come, brings it all back. 
He says, I'm not going to divide with you over your preferences and your doctrines. There's just love. It's the law of Christ. There is one head of the church. That's Jesus. Can we just get focused on Jesus, what he's done for us, and that he's coming back? Can we bridge gaps with heart and spirit with our brothers and sisters at the workplaces in the community and pull people together? Can we talk to Pentecostals and Baptists and can we come to the same table and eat of grace of God and say, Lord, help us to be one. Bind us together, Lord. Let us worship in spirit. Let's reach a lost and dying world that's going to hell. Let them hear more about our unity than our differences. May I not have any personal prejudices and talk always about the Baptists or talk always about the Pentecostals, but may I talk about Jesus. May I be about Jesus. May I get focused on him. And so let's be different and diverse, but let's be united in heart and in spirit. And I'm going to tell you something, church, this is just for sanctuary. I know people listen online. You in this room are responsible for this message to this parish and this community. You are responsible. Having heard it, you're now responsible. It's up to you, not Pastor Heath, not to our board, our worship team, our pastoral staff. It is up to you in this congregation. Have a message of reconciliation, Paul says, that bringing people God with man and men to men together at the cross. There is no walls at the cross. Amen? Would you stand with me, worship team? Would you come? Let's pray. Can we take a moment and pray and intercede for the church of Jesus Christ? Let's take a moment and ask ourselves, God, is there any walls in my heart? Maybe I'm prejudiced about doctrinal things. Maybe I'm prejudiced about personal things that maybe I grew up a certain way. I like things a certain way. That's okay. You want to believe a certain thing? If it's not a heaven or hell issue, if it's not a major doctrinal issue, then we can be diverse but united. And maybe there's an issue in your heart. Maybe you just have a chip on your shoulder about a certain type of thing or denomination or certain way. Or maybe you're caught up in your preferences. And you just ask God right now just to take that away from you. And that you could be united in heart and spirit. And then I'm going to ask you to pray this. God, how can I help grow your church? God, how can I help use my gifts by the Holy Spirit in united love and united spirit in my heart? How do I bring people to the table? How do I be a Christian to all Christians? And how do I witness to people at my work, in my school, in my community, in my family, that I'm not going to divide with you over things? I'm going to talk about Jesus. I'm going to lead you to Jesus. Let's just focus on Jesus. Can we do that right now? Can you just?